media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. As you're seated, open your Bibles to Psalms 51 this morning. We've been going through uh, for about five weeks now. We finally got to verse 3 and 4 this week. And uh, this whole series is about two things. When we talk about biblical repentance... A lot of times when we think about repentance, a lot of the first kind of theological aspect that comes to our mind is salvation. That we had this change in life, that before we were not following Christ, but now because God's saving us through the work of Christ, that now we begin to follow Him, trust Him. We became Christians. We're sons and daughters of the living God. And so we think about biblical repentance as that change in mind that then changes our life through the work of Christ. But my challenge as we go through this series is that, that we would look at Psalm 51 not in just biblical repentance as it pertains to salvation, but sanctification. Again, what is sanctification? It's Christians, those who already know Christ, but growing more and more in this called holiness. The Bible makes this bold call upon our lives. If you're a Christian here this morning, if you're a believer, it makes a bold call upon you. Be ye holy as I am holy. That's overwhelming. We would say that that's impossible. And it is impossible in the sense that we can never do that on our own. As long as we're here, we're never going to live out that perfection. But because of the work of Christ, he invites us to grow in this holiness more and more to reflect him. This morning as we continue on, I want to bring us back to what David has already proposed in the first two verses that we looked at a couple weeks ago. You know, we said that he used the three most common words for sin that the Hebrews had. He didn't just say, God, forgive me for my sin. He went into this prayer and he began to confess his sin and he actually used three different words that all had three different aspects of sin and he began to confess that sin. One, he said, my transgressions. That, that's the best word that we probably have is rebellion. When we just rebel against God, we know this is the way to go, and yet we say, I don't want to. I'm going to go this way. And so he confessed the rebellion of his heart. Then he said, will you forgive me of my iniquities? And iniquities is that Hebrew word that means that we begin to twist things. And, and for many Christians in your life, I think that's the one that we're probably prone to. In discipleship, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about this. In life group, we were talking about this. And how as Christians, we live in a world where, have you ever twisted God's truth? Well, God, you know, <laughs> I know you said this, but you know. And we want to put a new version, a new twist to it. David knew that he had that within him, and so he confessed it. I have rebellion in my heart. I have a part of me that wants to twist your truth. And the last thing he said was sin. And he used the word there in the Hebrew that basically means I've wandered from what is good. There's a difference between rebellion, this act of rebellion, and this wandering because we were thinking of the prodigal son. He had all these blessings at home, but he wandered away. And so David confessed that he had all three of these sins. And if we would have stopped right there, it would have been a challenging sermon, but I don't know that it would have really been super redeeming at that point. Because if we would have just walked away, if that's all David said, go, man, I really am like the lowest place on earth. Man, I have transgressions and iniquities and sins. But he doesn't stop there. He completes this gospel picture. 
And in the three words that he used in the Hebrew to discuss his sin, he uses three different words to talk about how God had given an answer. Now, this is before Christ had come to this earth. This is before Christ was on the cross. But David, in faith, was believing in the Old Testament that God was going to be a provider of salvation. And so what words did he use? He said, I want you to blot out my sins. Remember that we said that mostly in the Old Testament that was a negative word, like blot out your enemies, leave no trace. He said, will you wash me thoroughly? And that pertained to something that was stained. And you wash it so you can get the stain out. And then he said, cleanse me. It's a word that we saw 78 times in the Old Testament, but mostly used in Leviticus. Why? Because it was used in relationship to the priests that were getting ready for worship. He said, we, we, I know I've sinned in this way, in this way, in this way, but God, you have answered in this way, in this way, in this way. Folks, whenever we talk about, the Bible talks about sin, please, please complete the gospel story. And David did. And in verse 3 and 4, he gets really personal. He begins to see that it wasn't just, again, information. We begin to see a transformation in David's heart of how he even viewed sin. And that would be my challenge to you this morning. That it wouldn't just be that we would come up with a list of sins in our life. If you notice, I, I never just start making a list of sins. If you notice, I just, okay, man, today we're going to talk about this. Folks, we are all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We're in the same boat. And God's answer is the same for each one of us. Jesus Christ, Him alone. Not religion. Not even getting baptized. As wonderful as that is, and we rejoice with you this morning, that doesn't save. You know, that's a reflection of what God has done. Buried in His death. Risen in His resurrection. And so look what David begins to say. Verse 3 and 4, Psalm 51. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. In verse 3, we see David make a bold claim about his sin. For I know my transgressions. Hebrew word there, yada. It's a very intimate word doesn't mean that I've made a column list of my sins. This is the same word. I, I know we're in a family setting. but This is the same word that is used in Genesis chapter 4 that Adam knew Eve and gave birth to Cain. This word know in the Hebrew meant the intimacy of sexual relationships and marriage. But you knew somebody that deeply and that intimately. Now David uses that same word. He says, I know on this intimate level, God, my sins. My sins are ever before me. He said he was just feeling guilty all the time. No, let's finish the cycle here. He was aware of sins. I mean, he went around like with a cloud over his head. He's making a list. No, I know in an intimate way. God, my failings against you, my, my rebellions, my twisting of truth, my uh, times that I've just laughed and wandered. Folks, this is the main truth of the passage, in my opinion, this morning. When David gets down and says, against you, you only have I sinned. Do you see that? Verse 4. Would it be very easy to say, 
Would it be easy to make a list of the people that David had sinned against? Namely Bathsheba and Uriah. (laughs) I mean, if you murder somebody, I think most people would say, yes, I would consider that a sin against that person. You took their life. So how does he say against you and you only have I sinned? You know, is he just missing the point? Is he not seeing any earthly ramification of the choices that he's made? No, here's what I propose this morning. And I, I hope that the text, that I preach it justice this morning. David began to focus on the lawgiver and not just the law. It was a transforming point in my life. And I confessed to one of the elders this morning. I said, and I go back all the time. I go back all the time. A focus on the law instead of the lawgiver. But there's a transformation that happens in David's heart. That all of a sudden, he's not just looking at the law, the do's and the don'ts. These Ten Commandments, five of them you do this, four of them you do this, three of them you don't do this. You know, and he's not just looking at the information. All of a sudden, it's intimate. And he begins to look at the lawgiver instead of just the law. Folks, that's transformational thinking. Because by nature, we're pretty clinical people. We like the black and the white. How far can I go? I can go up the line? Oh, if I cross this line, that's when it becomes sin? What are we focusing on when we do something like that? And every one of us have done that. The law. Instead of the lawgiver and looking at the heart of why he even gave that law. And that's when we start doing the twisting, the wandering, the out and out rebellion. One of the most challenging parts of spiritual maturity that is for us to grow more and more and more in Christ Jesus is to focus on the lawgiver and not just the law. You see, when I look at the law, I'm mechanical, I'm technical, and, and we all have a propensity for that. Uh, again, not to divide it into men and women, but I'm about to divide it into some men and women things. Guys, we, we like technical. We, we really like just by human nature of maleness. We like categories. I'm not saying ladies don't like it, but guys, that's kind of the front of our mind. Just put in the, put it on this side or that side for me. But look what David says as he begins to, to focus more and more uh, on that. He, he says, I, I know, I intimately know my transgressions. And I've sinned against you and you alone. When I focus on the lawgiver, it gets personal. It gets intimate. It takes my focus off of the line that God said, don't go over that line. And it gets to the heart of his intent. Did you Do you think that God had intention behind, like, the Ten Commandments? Is there intention there? Now, one of the things that we see in the New Testament, you know, just being theologically correct, is that one of the reasons for the Ten Commandments was to show us our, our sinfulness, so that we would see our need for a Savior. But do you think that there was intent even that went beyond that, that when God says, do not murder, that there's something besides just don't murder? There's an intention there. There's something in the heart. When I was in school, in high school, uh, my last two years, I had a curfew, 12 midnight. And uh, that's what time I came in most of those nights, 11.59. I saw the line, and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't mature enough to go, you know, I'm just going in at 9.30, I'm rolling this up at 9.30 because, you know, 
nothing else is really happening. No, if the curfew was 12, what time was I walking in that door? 11.59. Was I good with the law by coming in at 11.59? Yes. The law part. I, I fulfilled the law. Do you think I always fulfilled the intent part? See, here's a phrase that my dad had. Son, nothing good happens after midnight. And there was a voice of experience in when he told me that. (laughs) He had tested that. And in his opinion, in his wisdom, son, nothing good happens after midnight. Do you think I ever, do you think that automatically this young 15, 16, 17 year old heart said, Dad, you're speaking wisdom there. I've got to agree. Are you sure you don't want to just move that back to 11 to, to kind of leave some room there just in case? No. That was my heart, guys. And the only reason I did that was because Dad had a brown, lazy boy. In our house at the time, the only way that I could get back to my bedroom is to go past there. And for whatever reason, Dad never went to bed early on Fridays or Saturdays. Go figure. I saw the line. I was obedient to the line most of the time. I missed the intent. The intention of my father was, son, really, nothing good happens. In other words, I want you to live carefully. I don't want you to get in trouble. His intent was my safety. Let me ask you a question, very personal question. This last week, was your focus more on the law or the lawgiver? I mean, just be honest with yourself. You don't have to say it out loud. Where was your focus this past week in living out the Christ life, living out your life this past week? Where was most of your focus when it pertained to things like the law? What's right, what's wrong? The law or the heart of the lawgiver that gave it to you? Spiritual maturity begins to understand more and more the personal nature of God. That's why some of my favorite theological books just are about the attributes of God. When you, you know, when you start looking at the attributes of God and say biblical about just what He has said about Himself, folks, you're going to go pretty right because you're learning about Him. Now, let me show you the importance of intent. This is not, you know, I don't speak politics from the pulpit, never will, never never have, never will. So don't take this as political. Take it as a mindset. When a law comes down from D.C., do you sit there and say, man, they have our good interest in mind. And I can tell by your laughter that more than likely, sometimes you're going, they have no personal intention to me. This is government oversight. This is power. This is control. And don't think that you can't have that mindset when it comes to our Father in heaven. That if we don't get this right, if we don't see the heart of God, then all of a sudden, it's just oversight. It's just control. I created you, and I'll control you. Is that the heart of your God? Because it's certainly not the heart of a biblical God. What he has told us about himself. When we focus on the line, 
Here's what what we're going to do, guys. Challenge me on this. When we focus on the line, we're either going to scorn it and despise it. We're going to get as close as we can. Or we're going to devise a way, we're going to twist the truth to try to get past that line without getting called, without much penalty. Would you agree that at least part of that resides in your heart and your mind? And that's why, yes, listen, let's be obedient to the laws. Let's see the Ten Commandments. Let's see the other things that God has said. But don't miss the heart, the intent, the purpose behind the law. And once that's where David is. Against you, you only have I sinned. He began to see not only his sin in three different wordings in the Hebrew and what God had done to bring cleansing to his life in three different ways, but he began to say, this is really personal to God. In fact, let's look at verse 3 and 4. First slide, let's look at the... For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Is that kind of personal? No. I mean, he's not saying this other person, hey, in general, and he personalizes that I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. This is very personal to me, God. Now look at the next verse. Can we go to that next slide? Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Is that pretty personal, guys? Because, I mean, here, here's what I have found out about my own sin. God, here's what I have found about you. It's very, very personal. All kidding aside, guys, but parents, parents, if your child came up to you and said this, Mom, Dad, I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. But number one, we know that that's just a theoretical thing. (laughs) Eric, you're laughing for some reason. (laughs) No, you got to come in at midnight. Well, you'll see me at 11.59 then. Because I really don't want to pay the price for coming in at 12.05 or 12.10. It's personal, guys. Again, all kidding aside, if your child comes... I mean, our children... For those that are, you know, still have the younger children and going through a lot of the the middle school years and and, and all that... uh, when they marry, have children of their own. I've told you this before. Dad, I'm sorry. Sorry for what? Everything. <laughs> it's one of the most rewarding calls in the world. Because <laughs> all of a sudden there's an understanding on a personal level that all of a sudden, you know, I, I, I told Elliot to go to bed and she doesn't want to stay in her bed. Mom, what do we do? And we didn't say strap her in. The thought was there. but All of a sudden there's an understanding that's very personal now that they're parents about rebellion, twisting. Well, mommy, you didn't really say 
not to do this. All the different these devices of, of trying to take God's command, lose the intent, and just keep the law, all of a sudden is very apparent when you uh, apparent when you are apparent. Truly not trying to be silly. But do you see how seeing the law differently begins when we begin to see the intentions in the heart of the lawgiver? The Bible does not ignore the horizontal aspect of sin. But it focuses on this vertical relationship with the Holy God. It doesn't ignore this. Hey, Bobby, you do this, you sow this, you're going to reap this. Here's the consequences of, of earthly sin on a horizontal level. But it focuses on the vertical level because ultimately that is what our rebellion, our twisting, our wandering is all about. Not just from a law that God made, but from a God who gave us that for good intention. So let me bring out three applications that we can put into place this week from this text. Number one, when we put our eyes on the lawgiver and not just the law, the first thing, we begin to see evil through God's eyes, not just our own. Is that an important application in our lives? Bible says it very clearly. Every way is right in man's own eyes. It says the, the heart is above all, deceptive. And so God gives us some of these commands and some of these laws because this doesn't always work right. Does this always work right? No, that doesn't always work right. So he said, I, I love you, and so I'm going to give you help. And I will draw some lines on things that are just going to bring destruction and, and, and terrible things to your life. And so he says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Do you think that you and God would have a different list if you start making lists of commands, laws, ways that he wants you to live? Do you think that yours may look a little bit different from his? And so David comes in a great application. God, will you show me more and more of your heart, more and more of your commands? Because I know that you've meant them for good. And and then I can embrace them. Just give me knowledge of what is right and what is wrong. Which of the following do you think has the best vision of what is evil? Your mind? Your heart? The world we live in? Our holy God? Which one would you pick? Was that an easy question? And yet, would you say that sometimes we confuse that? Going with the culture, going with the world that we live in, our mind, our heart. When we know that right answer, God, you have intimate knowledge of what is right and wrong. You have the clearest vision for my life. So that's the first application. Second application when we begin to look at the lawgiver and the intent and the heart of Creator God toward us, unless it's just the law itself, by itself, here's what's going to happen. We're going to begin to agree with God more and argue with God less. What did David say? So that you may be justified in your words. Isn't that one of the most challenging parts of parenting? It is when... You getting challenged on something? 
I mean, does that happen in your house? I was at the courthouse the other day, and they had a little protest on. We want justice. When do we want it? Now. And the crowd responds, you know, what do we want? Justice. When do we want it? Now. Has that ever happened in your house? I mean, they get, they get signs. We want justice. When do you want it? Now. Again, I'm trying to be silly because every one of us as parents have lived this out, guys. But doesn't that show you? I mean, I, I told one of my daughters one time, I said, you're right. We try to hide it all these years. But your mom and I stay up late at night and we devise ways and rules just that we know that will really get under your skin. And that's why you have different rules for you as one daughter and you as another one because you are two different ones. And so we sit up late at night and going, oh, this is really going to bother this one. Is that who our God is? Don't do this or, or do this. Don't, don't worship any other God except for me. You're going to be that inclusive God? It's just you and you? Yes, because I'm the only one worthy of worship. Look at the heart. Look at the intent behind it. Would you say, again, parents, would you say, that one of the greatest victories in parenting is, is as our kids get older and they come to that maturity, hey, mom, dad, you were right. I say that in all seriousness. Isn't that, yes. <laughs> Starts early. <laughs> I mean, isn't that kind of like, man, let's go ahead and write the book right now. We'll sell millions Because all of a sudden, something clicked, something registered, something said, you know, mom and dad aren't doing this just to frustrate us. Mom and dad love us. Dad really does believe that nothing good happens after midnight. And so my curfew of 12 isn't because that's when all the fun starts to happen. No, because he just wants me to be safe. And one of the greatest lines in the Bible truths of the Bible, and we find it throughout. If earthly fathers know how to do this, how much more does your heavenly father know how to do this? Talks about it. If you're hungry, would your earthly father do this? If your earthly father knows how to do this, how much more does your heavenly father know what you need? In Hebrews 12, when it talks about discipline, if even earthly fathers know how to do this, how much more does your heavenly father know the need for discipline? And righteous are those, blessed are those who are trained by it. Look at the lawgiver. And all of a sudden the law becomes something that is much more inviting, much more freeing, much more joyful, believe it or not. Third thing, when we look at the lawgiver and not just the law, we begin to see the holiness of God more and our own holiness less. Would you say that somewhere in our mind, when we determine that God's law, the line that he's drawn on whatever occasion, and we want to go best, that we are equating our holiness, our understanding, our authority over 
that of creator God? I mean, isn't that one of the elements of sin and rebellion? Is that we say that we know better? We've justified, we've twisted in our minds? I mean, that's the part of our human experience. Not just before we were saved, but Father, uh, folks, even after we become Christians, we still battle with that. I do. But when I put my focus on the lawgiver and not just the law, also I see his holiness more and more. And I see my lack of holiness more and more. That's what he said there in verse 3. Blameless in your judgment. Now let's get something right from the very beginning, guys. God will always be right. And when you disagree with God, you will always be wrong. 100% of the time. 100% of the time. And David is further stating that God is not only right, but he's blameless and he's holy. Not only is he right about sin and evil, but he's right in how he deals with it. I had to think through this a whole bunch. So all my theologians out there, challenge me afterwards. David, when he says here, that God, you're right in your judgment. Uh, what David is saying is, God, you're not just right about what, who you pronounce guilty, but you're right in your judgment how you pronounce the sentence. I, I love the Christian standard version of this verse, verse 4. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are right when you pass sentence, you are blameless when you judge. That really captures verse 4. That's what David is saying. I mean, have you ever argued with God? God, why did this happen to me because of my, you know, I got in trouble. I mean, anybody ever have siblings? You grew up with siblings. Did you ever have the argument somewhere in your mind that you got treated unfairly? That somehow you were not the honor child? That they loved your sister, your brother more than they loved you? Did that thought ever cross your mind ever at least once? That somehow there was an injustice going on in your parents' mind. What David's saying here, what David's saying is, God, you're just. Put it in a, in a term that we're familiar. God, you are the judge, the jury, and the executioner. Oh, Bobby, I don't know that I would use that word executioner for God. I believe that David would in this context. I mean, again, I invite you to call me this week and challenge me on this, but he's not just the judge, he's not just the jury, but he's the one that carries out sentence, guys. If he doesn't, who does? Who's in control of that? And let me end with this. This may seem harsh to say that God is judge, jury, and executioner. He's the one who's saying, you are right and you're, you're justified in your words. You're blameless in your judgment. David's the one that's saying that. I would wholeheartedly agree. And get this, guys. If God never saved one person, would he be just? Yes. He doesn't owe us salvation. He loved us so much that he provided for us a way that justice could be done. He didn't ignore justice. When Christ died on the cross for my sins, justice was done. 
Oh, death, where is your sting? It's gone. Why? Because of the victory of Christ. This is our hope, guys. If we don't have this, we don't have anything. Or we have something. It's a religion. We have some laws. But we don't have salvation. Don't think for a second that that God isn't the judge, the jury, the executioner. By God's grace, he put Christ in my place. And he died for my sins so that I could have life forevermore. That's where we begin to see this importance of what Christ did on the cross. It was done out of love. It was personal. It was done out of holiness. Justice took place. So I end with this question. I asked you last week, focus more on the law or the lawgiver. Let me change it around just a little bit. Next week, next week, will you turn your attention more to the law or to the lawgiver? I promise you, I promise you, it will change your whole perspective. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the hope of Christ. Father, I thank you that David began to understand so personally that he had not just broken a law, but Father, that he had offended you. He had brought sorrow to the heart of the lawgiver. Father, would you do that in our lives? Would you do that in, in my life? Father, would you help me even this next week not just to focus on the law, where the line is, but Father, I would focus on you. That purity in my mind wouldn't just because this, but because I know it's what's good. That thirsting for righteousness isn't just, you know, this attitude, okay, I'm going to stay out of sin, but that we would actually thirst, Father, for the things that you've called righteous and good. So, Father, today, thank you that you made David aware that even before Christ came, he knew that there was going to be an answer. And so, Father, this week, as we focus on the lawgiver, you, Father, instead of the law, will you help us to cast our mind to Calvary and see that justice did take place? But there was an executioner or an execution, Father. And out of your love, your grace, your mercy, and your goodness and your kindness, you gave us life when we deserved physical, spiritual death and separation from you. Father, this morning, help us to cast our mind to Calvary. We love you and we thank you. We pray all this in the hope that is Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.